Welcome back to Voices from Healthcare. Every other week, I seek to paint healthcare in vivid color as I learn more about the human side of medicine. In this episode of Voices from Healthcare. I don't know, just my personal feeling. I think, you know, a lot of people can go into healthcare with a misconstrued goal of, you know, I, I want to be a doctor because I want to make X amount of dollars, you know, per year. And I want to live in this neighborhood and I want to have this big of a house. You focus on that, you will not be successful. You know, but if, if you focus on you're there to help another human being, whatever your specialty is, whatever your scope of practice is, if you really stick to that, say I'm here to help another human being and you continue to do that day in and day out then whatever your definition of success is that will materialize because if you focus on that then then you're going to be happy and you're going to be successful whatever that means to you. Welcome back to another episode. Today we explore the unique world of chiropractic care We will touch on the idea of regenerative medicine and preventative care, as well as the focus on the importance of spinal adjustments. Dr. Finke is a chiropractor currently practicing at Everybody's Health in Mason, Ohio. He attended Ohio State University, where he studied pre-medicine. Upon graduation, Dr. Finke attended Life College of Chiropractic in Marietta, Georgia, graduating with his doctorate of chiropractic. Dr. Finke has provided excellent care to me throughout my various endurance adventures from my back to my hip. It is such a pleasure to have you on. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Finke. Thanks, Jonathan. I want to look at the beginnings in those early stages. So when we first consider the world of chiropractic care, we might think of spinal adjustment to someone who has thrown out their back or other such procedures. Yet there is incredible diversity and variety within this field from non-surgical spinal disc, decompression therapy, uh, to acupuncture, and others. Could you just give us a glimpse into your distinctive role as a chiropractor? Absolutely. Uh, I consider myself kind of a traditional chiropractor, meaning that I focus on uh, the misalignments of the spinal bones or the vertebrae, which are called vertebral subluxations. And by focusing on those, what I am concerned with is the irritation or the pressure and ultimately the disruption those subluxations put on our body's nervous system, which then leads to malfunction in the body. But as you said, there is great diversity in the profession. Uh, Some chiropractors will branch out and practice acupuncture with additional training. Some specialize in decompression disc therapy for herniated discs. Uh, But for me personally, I I prefer just focusing on the spinal subluxation and and the chiropractic adjustment. And could you just give us a window into your educational journey? Could you kind of describe that for us and uh, what you took in your undergraduate years and what type of study you pursued in order to best be prepared for your current profession? Yeah. um, Excuse me. In undergrad, it was your your basic sciences. So I I did start off on a pre-medicine track at Ohio State. Uh, So your basic sciences, biology, chemistry, psychology, things like that. Um, Interesting enough, Back in the mid early mid-90s, uh, individual states would require a certain amount of undergraduate hours, not necessarily a bachelor's degree, in order to get licensure in your state. Ohio was one of those, those states. So 
I completed basically two years of undergraduate study before I started chiropractic college. Uh, that has now since changed. Most states in the union uh, require a four years ba- four-year bachelor degree before starting chiropractic school for your additional four-year degree. degree. Uh, but it's, it's basically a heavy science and uh, biology-focused, anatomy-focused, and things like that. I know for me personally, um, in college, I'm doing the pre-medicine route, and there are people who want to be chiropractors within that, and we're taking a lot of the same classes. Yes. Um, could you, you've touched on a little bit before the diversity within different paths you can pursue within chiropractic care, uh, such as the spinal disc, decompression therapy, and others. Could you just describe why you decided to focus on your specific path? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was just my personal experience. Uh, I was first introduced to chiropractic care when I was a junior in high school. Uh, had some athletic injuries. Uh, had a teacher who had two sons that were chiropractors in Cincinnati uh, that I had known. They were they were neighbors of mine growing up. And uh, after talking with them about what chiropractic was, and I always had an interest in helping others through healthcare. Um, that kind of solidified my route as far as really investigating what chiropractic was all about. And then for me personally, when I first when I first heard the chiropractic story, so to speak, of, of what chiropractic really is, it was like a light bulb went off in my head and it just made sense to me. And I mm-hmm. said, well, this is definitely the, the, the profession and the career and the vocation that I want to pursue. That's excellent, and it's great to have those those light bulb moments and those moments when you're like, yes, this is exactly what I want to pursue. Clarity was good. <laughs> it is. It is very good. What are some <clears throat> practical ways for a prospective student in chiropractic care uh, to get hands-on experience? Is there anything that they can do in their undergraduate years or while they're still in high school before um, they've entered into the official profession, any ways to get experience or... Sure. Yeah, I think from from people I've talked to, and even in my own experience, there usually, not always, but there usually is a personal experience with chiropractic care. So whether it's through an athletic injury, um, things like that, you're you're introduced to chiropractic care and and 90% of the time it it helps you. You you recover from what's going on and that kind of sparks that interest. Um, and then from there, I've, I've had many students over the course of my career come in and shadow me for a day, just walk around with me, just kind of watching what I'm doing, things like that, asking questions. Uh, that's probably the best way to do it. Um, as you were saying, as we talked about in the beginning with the diversity in the profession, if someone is seriously considering going to chiropractic school, mm-hmm. I highly recommend going to different chiropractors in your area and seeing the different styles of practices. Um, once you get into chiropractic school, you'll, you'll be more um, open to those things. You'll have, you'll have more access to different techniques, different styles, different scopes of practice. And you can kind of winnow down what you want to do personally. But exposing yourself to all those different things as you're investigating whether chiropractic career is good for you or not is, is a great way to do it while you're still in high school and early in college. Mm. It's interesting that you're saying that it, it's usually based on something that you've personally experienced mm-hmm. and then you go to a chiropractor and then you have that moment where you're like, wow, this is actually healed now and it's a lot better. I know that in a lot of these like health professions, a lot of it's based on formative experiences. You have something that happens to you personally that will end up affecting that path. So yeah. that's cool to see. Yeah. Um, and then again, yeah, shadowing is an incredible opportunity just to get to get that experience without the initial pressure of the job. Yeah, you can kind of sit back and observe. So absolutely. That's very good advice. Yeah. 
for you personally, how did you fall in love with chiropractic care? Did mm-hmm. that develop over time or was that a, a singular moment where you were like, yes, like this is exactly what I want to pursue? I think there there's two things that, that come to mind. I think what I said earlier is when when I first had a chiropractor explain to me what chiropractic was and, and in its simplest form, meaning that, you know, the human body is is controlled by our central nervous system, meaning our brain, our spinal cord, and the peripheral nerves that branch off the spinal cord. Basically, every single cell in our body is in contact with our brain. It's mission control through that nervous system. And when he explained to me that if, if, if your spine is not in a good alignment, if it's locked and not moving properly, and that causes interference to your nervous system, your body will malfunction on some level. And it could be extreme, and it could be minor, but to me, that simple principle just that just made so much sense to me, and I thought, wow, if I could just help people with that simple principle, and of course, in my career now, I've seen what I would call miraculous things happen, where I've seen people that have been written off by traditional medicine, they can't do anything for you, and whether it's me personally or other colleagues um, working with this person and just working with their spine, working with their nervous system, um, that's when I think over time I really fell in love with the profession to see, because a lot of times people will come to a chiropractor as a, as a last resort. You know, I've been here, 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 and here. They've done this, 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 and this, and they said there's nothing to do for me. You're my last hope, Doc. I hear that, you know, too frequently. <laughs> um, but when you see someone recover from a situation that others in a healthcare profession gave up on them, it's just so gratifying, so sad, so humbling. Hmm. Um, because for me, it's like, that's how the human body is designed to to function. It's designed to heal itself. And as a practitioner, if I can just assist in that process and remove any interference to the body's nervous system that controls that and just let nature take its course, it's just so awesome. So I kind of fall in love with it every day when I see stuff like that happen. You know, and I had cases this week where I see stuff like that happen. I'm like, this is why I do what I do. It's very gratifying. It's very, just very awesome. That role of regenerative medicine is is very cool to see, and the body does heal itself. Yeah, that, and how absolutely. you can be in charge of helping to make sure that the spine is aligned and, and accompanying that process absolutely. is really cool to see. Absolutely, um, I have seen in my own life just the power of mentors, and like we've we've touched on this before already, but formative experiences. Uh, were there any mentors or formative moments along your journey? Absolutely, that kind of helped confirm your path. Absolutely. So, first chiropractor I was talking about. Uh, he practices over on the west side of Cincinnati still. His son actually just graduated. He's in practice with him now. Uh, I, I've known him my entire life. He, We lived on the same block. Uh, he and his brother were both chiropractors. He was my swim coach growing up, was a babysitter of mine growing up. His mom was my eighth grade teacher. So I've known him my whole life. So he poured a lot into me as far as initially getting me exposed to chiropractic mm-hmm. um, and kind of elbowing me and like, you know, this is where you need to go to school after you graduate. You know, there's there's a handful of chiropractic schools. Um, they're all private school. I think there's one public school now, but there, it was back in the 90s. It was, you know, maybe six to eight chiropractic schools to choose from across the nation. Um, and I remember him saying, you know, there's two main schools you can choose from. There's a school in Iowa which is the Palmer School of Chiropractic, I guess the original school, or there's this school down outside of Atlanta. And he's like, 
you grew up in Ohio. You you're used to the winters. You know, he's like, you can go to Iowa and be cold again, or you can go to Atlanta and stay warm. I'm like, I'll go to Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, so that was a great influence. You know, he he really guided me, and he told me, it, you know, he gave me great advice at one time during school when I was struggling with classes and especially anatomy, and we're doing gross dissection for two years, and we're literally, you know, dissecting a cadaver from head to toe, and it was just it was tough. It's hard. Um, and then remembering everything on, a, on your test. And I remember coming home on a break one time and just talking with him. He said, look, what do they call the person that graduates first in your class and the person that graduates last in your class? I'm like, I have no idea. He's like, doctor of chiropractic. <laughs> I was like, he's like, don't stress out about it so much, right? He's like, yeah, yeah. he's like, the goal of college is to get through college so you can pass your boards, so you can get your license, and then you can practice. Then you really get into practice, right? Mm-hmm. So great advice from him, and, and I, uh, I always reflect back on that. And I think the other one, which it's interesting you bring this up, um, when I first graduated school, I worked for a doc down outside of Atlanta for two years. <clears throat> Had a couple of practices in Metro Atlanta, and he always would bring in recent grads and, and just kind of, you know, help them get their, get their feet wet, so to speak. He had a very high-volume practice. And um, I remember the first couple of weeks I worked for him, he's like, showed me just a couple of things. He's like, you know what you need to do and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, this is kind of how we do things here and as far as technique. And he just kind of threw me into the fire. And, I mean, we, we were, there were three doctors in this practice, and it was from start to finish. There were patients in and out, and it was a very busy practice. Mm. And it, the one thing I appreciate, and I actually just sent him a Christmas card this year just to thank him because I've had so many people just make comments that made me think of him, was by seeing that amount of people early in my career, my hands got really good. My sense of touch got really good, which is important for a chiropractor when you're feeling someone's spine, feeling for those misalignments. Mm. It was just that repeated massive amounts of human bodies I was able to, human spines I was able to touch just to get my tactile skills down very quickly. Um, So those two guys, those two docs have a huge influence on my career uh, Mm. very early on. It's incredible to hear those formative moments and how that really does impact and set the trajectory. Absolutely. Um, It's really cool to see. I want to look a little bit into personality. Um, So chiropractors, they have to have a deep knowledge of musculoskeletal anatomy of the body. You've talked about how you were learning the cadavers and that gross anatomy and that period of of learning all of that. Um, And then they also have to have very good relational skills, you know, good um, interactions with their patients and really make them feel at ease because oftentimes when someone's new to having an adjustment they can feel um, nervous or, or on edge perhaps but you have to be comforting in that moment and kind of bring them into that space. Could you just talk about the characteristics and the type of personality that you think's required for a good chiropractor? Sure. What do they bring to the table? Yeah and I think and I think just in healthcare in general um, you, you know, we, we use bedside manner as, as terminology that you have to have good bedside manner. And I think for me personally, um, I, whenever I walk into a, a room with a, a new patient, someone I've never met before, the first thing that I always think of is this is a human being that is suffering to some degree, whether it's they have a pain or they have some health care condition or something's going on that brought them into my office for them to seek counsel and, and, and treatment from me. So the first thing I say is, okay, this is a human being. This is a child of God. So um, I have that respect just for that human being right there. And I think from there, it's just 
Um, if you have a natural personality that you just connect with people and if you can be real with people versus being standoffish and short. And one thing I never try to portray is that I'm a know-it-all. Mm. Um, one, one of the things that one of my mentors taught me was if you can talk on an eighth grade level to every single patient of yours, you'll have a very successful practice. Mm. Whether it's a neurosurgeon that comes into your office or whether it's, you know, whoever, if you can just sit down and communicate at an eighth grade level, and it's not dumbing it down, but it's just having a conversation with somebody, that's what sets people at ease. Because as you said, there's a lot of apprehension when it comes to chiropractic. Most people are apprehensive because they don't know what to expect. They hear what chiropractors do, but if you've never experienced it, then you don't know. So right. for me, having a personality of just being able to sit down with someone have a conversation with someone, which again, in today's healthcare, you're kind of rushed in and out. You know, most docs are in and out in 30 seconds and they're looking at your chart and it's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And I hear that a lot from people. It's like, well, you know, I never really had a conversation with that doctor. They just kind of said, this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. So I think giving that person that respect and just giving them the time and saying, hey, you know, what's, what's going on? What brought you in? And of course, listening. Um, when you listen to someone, you gain so much information about what's actually going on in this person. And as a practitioner, that helps me help them faster, quicker, more efficiently. So I think above all, having a compassionate heart, but being a great listener helps give you the ability to give that person the best care that they need. That's a great insight. And you're right. Oftentimes in healthcare, doctors can feel rushed from patient to patient, and they can feel like they only have minutes with their patient to explain what is going on and oftentimes there isn't that listening element and you actually do need to to take a step back and to listen and that's really where you can start learning absolutely Um, so that's good to get a window into that many of us have grown up with chiropractic care available to us yet this field has developed so much in the last couple hundred years some believe that the birth of chiropractic care was when david palmer adjusted the spine of a deaf uh, janitor in 1895 and claim to restore healing. Could you explain for us kind of the development of chiropractic care um, and how that standard practice is just constantly changing? Yeah, so within the profession, as I was saying earlier, that's the first, that school in, in Iowa is the Palmer School of Chiropractic. So uh, David Palmer was, uh, was in Davenport, Iowa, and, and studied anatomy and the human body and things like that. And the story goes that he had a janitor in his building that, you know, couldn't hear him well and uh, he was, you know, asking him questions like, well, when did this start and what happened and things like that. And that led to, you know, what's the first chiropractic adjustment and his hearing was restored. And from there, David's son, BJ, took over and he kind of expanded the profession very rapidly, probably in the early 1900s to the 1930s. Um, he was a very um, vibrant human being and he was very boisterous. <laughs> Not a shy guy at all. Uh, There was one point in time where he actually purchased a radio station in Davenport, Iowa, and he would broadcast, you know, chiropractic messages, you know, to the nation just to get the word out Uh, about what chiropractic was. And back then, um, you know, chiropractic was considered illegal. Uh, It was considered you were practicing medicine without a license because there were no chiropractic boards or things like that. Uh, And there were many chiropractors that were arrested and thrown in jail for practicing medicine without a license and stories about how they were adjusting fellow prisoners in in the jail (laughs) block, you know, things like that. So funny things. But, you know, obviously from there, things have have expanded and changed and and morphed. And and there still are, and, and I include myself in this, there are still 
those chiropractors that are considered principal chiropractors. It's this is what Dr. Palmer and his son found, and this is what they defined chiropractic as, which is the correction of the subluxation of the spine to free up nerve interference. If you keep it that simple, then that's considered a principal chiropractor. There's others that say, hey, yeah, I'll do this, but there's other things that I am interested in, whether it's acupuncture, decompression, or, or regenerative medicine, or nutrition, or, or things like that. And obviously that's expanded over the last decades and, and centuries. Um, so there's a lot as far as, I guess I would put the umbrella of, you know, it's a natural healthcare profession. The, the main thing that all chiropractors pretty much agree on is that the body's self-healing. And if we can do things with and to the body to stimulate those healing po- properties of the body, then we're helping the individual versus prescribing a medication or, or a pharmaceutical or some type of a surgery or things like that. Um, you know, we try to focus on assisting the body naturally versus chemically or removing parts and organs and things like that. So that's kind of the big difference, but that's kind of where most chiropractors are. We're very a natural wellness healthcare kind of model. And how have you seen the practice just change even in your own uh, profession? Like from when you first got your license to even now, have you seen developments and changes kind of as you've Absolutely. been in the field? Yeah, and I think with, with as technology changes, you know, over centuries, um, you know, there's definitely different um, diagnostic tools that we can use. There are different adjustment tools that have been developed over the last few decades that utilize computers and that utilize, you know, mm-hmm. um, more automated functions, for lack of a better term, versus just using your hands. So, yeah, I've seen developments in that. And, of course, as we study and learn more about nutrition and vitamins and minerals and things like that, you know, we can assist with providing those that advice from a nutritional standpoint or a diet standpoint, an exercise standpoint. Uh, but from a technology standpoint, yeah, definitely. I think one of the biggest kicks for me was I like to use x-ray. And when I have a, a, a case that might be a little complicated, I like to see what's going on inside. And for 20 years, you know, I've had x-ray go to the dark room, develop the film and hang it up, let it dry and all that kind of stuff. Now with the invention of digital x-ray, you hit a button and, you know, five seconds later, it's up on your computer screen. So that's right. <laughs> quite efficient. <laughs> you know, it's, it saves a lot of time. And, it's, and I have the time to not only take the x-ray with the patient, but I can go over the x-ray with the patient immediately and say, here, we just took this picture. This is what things look like. Here's where the problems are. Let's go get to work versus taking an x-ray. All right, you got to come back in a couple of days. I have to develop these. I have to analyze these, you know, and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's instantaneous now. So technology has been great for our profession. Yeah, that's incredible to hear that. Uh, we've already touched on it a little bit, but uh, chiropractic care was very conservative in the past. But now some practices, they allow chiropractors to prescribe antibiotics, uh, yet they're still not legally allowed to prescribe medication. Could you just touch on this idea and kind of where you see the role of the chiropractor continue to expand over the next several years? Yeah, and, I, and I, to be honest with you, I think that's one of the, one of the thorns in our profession is yeah, that we, yeah. have, we have a certain sect of chiropractors that want to get into the prescription model and we have a certain sect that are over on this side of that want to stay principled and true to the the foundation of what Dr. Palmer established and then there's you know obviously there's the people in the middle of that Um, do I think personally that will ever get to full prescription rights for lack of a better term no and I hope not Mm -hmm. because again that's a that's a big distinction between 
the chiropractic profession and the medical profession. You know, that's that's, sure. that's the big difference. Um, I've seen a trend, you know, ever since 2020 when, with COVID and everything, that more people in in mass are looking for more natural healthcare options versus more traditional medical pharmaceutical. And, and just through conversations with patients, I think there's more of a distrust as far as what happened during that time period to say, wow, I don't, I'm not sure about what all happened in 2020 and thus far. I don't know if I trust them as much as I used to before that. So I'm going to start looking over in this arena as far as how can I take care of myself and my family better, more naturally. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's been going on for a couple of decades as far as the chiropractic profession. I haven't seen it swing one way or the other. I don't see it swinging more towards prescription rights or not. I think it's kind of stabilized where it has been, but um, I think it's going to kind of stay there for a while. That is a really interesting discussion that, you know, there are some who believe that you should continue to expand and, and build off of that, but then there's the other traditional we should stay with the original intent of Dr. Palmer. So that's yeah. that's an interesting kind of world to balance yeah. and kind of where you fall with it. Yeah, and I, th- and I think, you know, one of the I guess an analogy that will come about is is with the osteopathic profession. Um, you know, back when osteopathy was founded, um, Dr. Still was the founder of osteopathy. And the principle is the same. To my understanding, I haven't really studied osteopathy. I'm not an osteopath. That's my disclaimer. Um, <laughs> but what I do know basically about the profession is Dr. Still uh, believed that disease was caused by, you know, restricted blood flow in the body. So he developed a lot of manipulative techniques and body work and things like that. And some osteopaths still do that, but somewhere along the line, I don't know when it was, they were kind of welcomed into the medical profession to prescribe medications and pharmaceuticals and perform surgery. So there's osteopaths that now, you know, a doctor of osteopath that, that can do those things. And I think chiropractors don't want to get into that that realm, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to work with other healthcare professionals, but we don't want to do the same thing that uh, everybody else is doing because we see this working over here. Sure, sure. That's fascinating to dig into that a little bit. Yeah, I like the history of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, We've touched on it before, and you mentioned it with uh, the rise of COVID and during the pandemic. Um, A lot of people had more of a distrust for traditional medicine, and they saw regenerative medicine or this, uh, the chiropractic care as as another avenue uh, to explore. Many times a patient, you know, is rushed to the hospital, and they can be over-prescribed medication, but chiropractic care is focused on uh, preventative care and not using the role of, of medication and chemicals, but uh, more natural forms of healing. Could you just kind of touch on that aspect of care? We've already touched on it, but do you want to yeah. expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, and I, and I appreciate you bringing it up because it, it's, it, it is another conversation I have um, daily with patients. I, the way that I view my type of practice, there's, there's two sides of this coin. <clears throat> there's what's called reactive care. So again, of a person that walks into my office, they're coming in because they have a problem, whether it's a sciatic problem or a migraine problem or an ear infection, whatever it is. Or it's just, oh, you know, I woke up this morning and I can't turn my head because my neck is locked up, right? So that is what I consider reactive care. Something's wrong. I need help. I need you to fix it, quote unquote, (laughs) right? So I'm I'm reacting because because something doesn't feel right. The flip side of that is what I call proactive care, which is, my body feels good. I feel like I'm healthy. I do things that are good for me. I eat good food. I exercise. I drink plenty of water. I get enough sleep. I do take vitamins. You know, I do all this good stuff. But I heard somewhere along the way that, you know, chiropractic care can help me with my body to make sure it functions 
the way it's supposed to. So I call that proactive care, right? You're doing something in addition to these other things to make sure your body is working properly, that it's functioning to the best of its abilities. So I will always have a conversation with patients. Once they get out of a reactive situation, I always say, hey, this is a good idea to maintain what you've just got, quote unquote, fixed now. You've corrected this problem. Let's maintain it. And that can be anywhere from coming in for a weekly checkup to coming in for a monthly checkup, you know, just to make sure things are where they're supposed to be so you don't regress back into a reactive situation and you can start to progress into more of a proactive situation. So, and that's how I've been using chiropractic for, gosh, 30 years now, to say it out loud, (laughs) 30 years. Um, But first it was reactive. Mm -hmm. That lasted for about six months. Then I taught what chiropractic was and went into the vocation. Now I'm very proactive. I, I get adjusted twice a week. I see a chiropractor twice a week and I get adjusted. I exercise, I eat right, I drink plenty of water, get plenty of sleep, but I want to be able to make sure my body is functioning at its highest ability possible so I can not only serve my patients, but I can serve my family and, and things like that. That's great to distinguish between those, those two sides. Yeah. Um, could you walk us through a typical day in your life? Uh, what are the daily requirements of you? And, and kind of what what might a typical day look like? I know it's from start to finish, changing. or just in the office. Just in the office, <laughs> whatever, whatever you want to share. <laughs> well, when I wake up, no, I can't. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, it's 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 a pretty simple work day. Mm-hmm. Um, most days, I start at start seeing patients at nine o'clock, and 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 I'll see them in two shifts. So a morning shift is usually from nine to noon, um, and then an afternoon shift is usually from three to six or three to seven. <clears throat> that's that's pretty typical for a chiropractic. We we tr- most chiropractors schedule their office hours around our patients' quote unquote work hours. So we're usually open when they're not at work, right? So if it's earlier in the morning or usually later in the evening when they're done with work. Um, but yeah, I mean a, a typical day is I get in there at nine o'clock and start adjusting patients. Usually within the middle of that shift, maybe about uh, ten thirty eleven o'clock, we'll have a new patient scheduled and those appointments. So a typical office appointment for someone just coming in under regular care Mm -hmm. anywhere from about five to 15 minutes depending on what additional treatments they're doing in the office besides the adjustment and that could be electric muscle stim heat therapy uh, intersegmental traction cervical traction there's different rehabilitative therapies that we have in the office to help someone heal faster so depending on where they are in a stage of care i could have somebody that's been under chiropractic care for five years that just comes in for a once a month adjustment they can be in and out of the office within five minutes. Someone who's just getting started because they have an acute situation, they're probably going to be there anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes to complete their, their treatment for the day. Um, so, yeah, so within those three hours, that's typically what we're doing. And then usually within the middle of that, that, uh, that time frame is we'll schedule some time for a new patient. That's a longer visit. It takes about a half an hour to get through a consultation, do the examination. If I'm taking x-rays, we'll take x-rays and then go ahead and, and do an adjustment if it's appropriate at that point in time. And it's very similar for the afternoon. Um, my lunch break, I, I have a long lunch break, which is great because I like to eat and I, that's when I go to the gym. <laughs> I don't like to go to the gym in the morning. I don't like to go to the gym after work, so I go to the gym at lunch. Yeah, and it works yeah. great for me. So I get done in the morning, go, go, go to the gym, eat lunch, come back in the afternoon, and I get home. That's so, great. That's a typical day. Nice, nice. Have you ever had, um, you've touched on it before again, but um, an impactful moment that you've seen for a patient? Maybe it's a patient that you've seen uh, for a while, someone who's been coming in and and has had this persistent problem, and then there's been this moment where it's like, yes, like this is finally healed. Like this was the the final visit to kind of 
have that patient experience that healing for the first time or something like that. Yeah, I mean, and, and certainly I don't want this to sound boastful, but it happens more often than not, which is, again, it's, it's very humbling when it does. Yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, there's not one that comes to mind right off the top of my head. You know, I, I think of the most powerful ones for me is mm-hmm. when I'm working with children. Uh, and I always tell parents this. Usually if chiropractic care can help a child with some type of a situation, it's because the problem that I'm focused on hasn't been there that long. It's more of a recent, if we're talking about a, a spinal misalignment subluxation, it hasn't been there that long versus somebody who could have a chronic condition. There's some degenerative factors around it, whether it's disc degeneration or joint. Those chronic conditions are a little harder to to manage because that's been going on for a long time. But when you see it, when I work with children, and usually the most common thing I'll see with children is they have chronic ear infections. Mm. Um, those will clear up really, really quick. And and if you've ever seen a child with an ear infection, they're extremely painful. Like they don't want to be touched at all. Yeah. It's like somebody yeah. sticking a knife in their ear. It's extremely painful. So to see those resolve and to see that child just smile mm. when they come in the office versus crying and screaming and holding their ears, um, those are the most I mean, those are very rewarding to, to be able to help that situation. And I bet just to be able to physically see that kind of pain in their face just kind of lift just off. Just go. Yeah. Just go. Yeah. Just like, yeah, it's, it's, very, it's, it's very humbling. And obviously the parents are very thankful too. <laughs> sure, of course, yeah. They've yeah. got their, their child back to their full strength. Yeah, so yeah. they can sleep well at night now. Exactly. Uh, it, it just, I mean, it affects everything, you know. It does, when you, yeah. When you don't feel good, it affects everything. It really does. Yeah. Uh, on the flip side of that, what would you say is is a challenging aspect of your job? Yeah. Something that brings challenge. Uh, I, I would go back to the the, the situation when when I have a, 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 a person that has a chronic condition. So, mm-hmm. you know, we'll, I'll see a lot of folks that have gone to other chiropractors before, and they've gone to orthopedic surgeons, and they've gone to physical therapists. Like they've gone through the whole gamut of healthcare providers trying to help them with this, and. I think one of the most disheartening things is if I take an x-ray of someone or have an MRI ordered to say what's really going on in there, to be able to get eyes on what's going on. And if I'll see a condition that I can just tell has been going on for decades and it's just been slowly breaking down and this area of their body has been falling apart and, mm-hmm. you know, for decades, you know, it, it's one of those conversations that you have with a patient to say, look, I'm going to do my best to help you but I am never going to be able to change this situation. This is 30, 40, 50 years in the making, you know, so six adjustments isn't going to fix this. Hopefully we can get you feeling more comfortable and then go from there. Um, But it's, it's challenging when you, when you have someone come in and, and like I've said before, they, they say, you know, you're my last hope doc. You know, I've been to this guy, this guy, this doc that, you know, I've been to five or six other doctors and no one can help me and I've had this procedure done and I've taken this and I've done this and and none of it's worked Hmm. and you're my last hope (laughs) those are the ones where you're like all right God you got this with me right yeah I I need some you know I need some uh, resolve here Um, and again those don't always have the most successful outcomes but again I I just I try my best to just help that person as much as I can Hmm. there are those times within chiropractic care when someone has um, a restricted area of their body, and then there's that that massive pop or crack or yes. that tension that's being released. 
what is going on there when there's that alignment and that adjustment? Yeah. What is going on in the Great body? Great question. I get that yeah. question pretty much every day. Yeah, yeah. So I, I always tell people this. When you hear the, the noise, the crack, the pop, the, the release of that pressure, the sound itself is gas releasing from a joint. So um, all the joints in our body are, are called synovial joints. And what that means is there's connective tissue that's wrapped around the joint, there's fluid inside the joint which acts as lubrication, and there's also gases inside that joint. Sometimes those gases can get trapped in the joint when the joint gets fixated or locked, meaning if it doesn't move properly. So, you know, for example, you know, the, the knuckle joint just goes flexion extension, forward and backward. Spinal joints can move in much more different directions. <clears throat> if spinal bones get misaligned, locked, stuck, for lack of a better term, pressure builds up in the joints. And when I make the adjustment and I'm releasing that pressure, that's what releases that trapped air and the synovial fluid, and that's what makes the popping sound. You know, people will ask me, you know, is it, is it okay to, you know, pop your knuckles? I said, well, it's not good, bad, right, or wrong, but it is different than what I'm doing. And I explain it this way, is if you're, you're doing it to your knuckles on your finger, you're taking a joint that's already in alignment, you're forcing it out of alignment, and then you're letting go and releasing it. Versus when I'm making an adjustment to the hmm. spine, that joint's already out of alignment. And I'm forcing it and pushing it to try to get it back into a better alignment. So you're, you're not forcing it out and back in. You're trying to get it to move back in, in, a, in a better direction. Sure. Um, but that's what the, to get back to your question, that's what the sound, the noise is. Is, is this a release of pressure? Um, I always tell people, too, it's like if you've ever opened a champagne bottle and you get that pop, that's exactly what happens when you make an adjustment. You're releasing pressure from a locked, fixated joint. It's interesting to compare your adjustments with the with the standard knuckle crack because yeah. I know a lot of times people are like, well, it's just like a gas that's yeah. being released, but you are moving it out of alignment because it's already been in alignment. Correct. So yes. it's interesting to look at it in terms of alignment. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. You're forcing it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know that when I've gone for chiropractic adjustments with you, uh, we often go along the spinal column and you're kind of feeling along the spinal discs. Mm -hmm. What are you really looking for kind of yeah. in that stage? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, um, as far as the anatomy of a, of a vertebra, a spinal bone, there's landmarks that I'm feeling for. So usually in the upper back and the lower back, um, there's a landmark called the spinous process, which is the, the bump that you feel that you can see run down the middle of your back. Um, what I generally feel is I'm scanning down, I'm just, I'm just feeling to see if those landmarks are lined up on top of each other. And a lot of times someone has a misalignment in that area, I will be able to feel if that landmark is rotated to the right or to the left, because it won't match up to the, the vertebrae above or below. And that's an mm -hmm. indication to me that, okay, there's, there's a misalignment, there's a subluxation. Um, in the neck, when I'm, when I'm feeling or what's called palpating the neck, there's two other landmarks that stick out to the side. Those are called the transverse process, and I can feel those as well versus the spinous process, which is the one that sticks out of the back. So it's really, again, as I said about my experience in Atlanta, getting hands on people and getting that tactile sensation down, that's what I'm feeling for when I'm, when I'm palpating somebody is those subtle interruptions in a normal alignment in a spinal column. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's really amazing how much feeling is involved with yes. chiropractic care and to be able to feel the alignment and yeah. to really take your time with that. So. Yeah, and very rarely am I, the, like if I'm visually looking at someone, the only thing I'm really looking at initially is to see where their pelvis is. That's usually the first thing I start with is the pelvis. Is the pelvis aligned? And then I'll work up the spine from there. 
most times, and people will always say, why, why do you close your eyes, dog? Like, I'll have my eyes closed when I'm feeling someone's spine just so I can, in my mind's eye, see what position that vertebrae is malaligned in so I can correct it in the right way. <laughs> so it's definitely a, a tactile a, a tactile sensation yeah, thing. For sure. We've looked at it before, uh, but another facet of chiropractic care is that idea of um, spinal disc decompression therapy. Mm -hmm. Could you just kind of describe what that is? Sure. Yeah. Um, more recently, I would say probably in the last 20 to 30 years, um, some chiropractors developed a technique to treat herniated discs. So a disc is the cartilage, the cushion between the spinal bones. Um, it's made up of roughly two types of components. There's an, a very tough fibrous outer wall that is the, the hard part of the disc. Then the inner part is like a gelatinous type of viscosity. So people always say it's like a jelly donut. That's the best analogy of a vertebral <laughs> disc. What can happen over time with individuals is um, that inner part of the disc can be pushed out or it can leak out, and that's called a herniated disc. Now, if that disc material touches a nerve, you're going to feel it, and it doesn't feel great. And that can lead to sciatica or, or what's called radiculopathy down the arm or, or other situations. What decompression therapy was designed to do was it's a form of tractioning. So tractioning is when you're basically stretching the spine apart from head to toe, for lack of a better term. <clears throat> With decompression therapy, you're focused more on the specific level where the herniated disc is. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to pull the spinal bones apart to take pressure off of the disc in between to help alleviate some of that herniation and, and possibly bring some of that disc material back into a better position versus it being herniated. Um, I don't know the actual statistics on its success rate. I've read anywhere from 80 to 86% success rate, depending on if it's a lower back disc or a neck disc. Um, I, I think it's a great tool to have. We have one in our office. We don't use it very much. We use it on very extreme cases. So we'll try traditional chiropractic adjustments and some other things first if we know there's a herniated disc mm -hmm. and if we're not getting results then we might recommend decompression therapy for that individual and there's also the chiropractic technique webster's technique mm. uh, which was developed for pregnant women to assist with discomfort during pregnancy could you give us more detail into this technique absolutely this is actually uh, dr webster was a professor down at my uh, alma mater oh, wow. um, so he developed this technique and he developed it for what's called intrauterine constraints. So back in the 80s when he developed it, it was uh, he, he focused it on breech presentation babies. So when, when a baby's ready to be delivered, they're usually head down. A breech presentation is if they're either laying sideways or if they're laying head up and butt down. So he, through research, um, through his practice, identified a specific misalignment or a subluxation pattern in the sacrum, which is the tailbone. And he found that if this specific misalignment was happening, it was interfering with the nerves that control the uterus. And what was developing was the uterus was contracting harder on one side and it was relaxed on the other side, causing a constraint in the uterus, which could, for lack of a better term, lock the baby in an abnormal presentation, whether it was a breech presentation or, or whatever. Hmm. So through his research and his trial and error and his practice, he found that this specific adjustment that he would do to the sacrum would take the pressure off of those nerves controlling the uterus, and the uterus would relax. And 
I think his statistics were upper 80% that the babies would turn by themselves naturally in the womb, that they didn't have to do an emergency C-section because it was a breech presentation or things like that. Um, I've had personal experience with it, and it's it's the coolest thing when it, when it happens. <laughs> yeah. I've had failure with it too. I've had I've done it on on pregnant ladies, and it didn't work. So it goes both ways. Um, but that's what it was originally was developed for for what was you know what he called a breech baby, what we now call intrauterine constraint that leads to a breech presentation. Um, but with adjusting pregnant patients. If that's not what's going on, if that's not what brought them in the office, like they say, hey, doc, I know I've got a breach presentation and, you know, I've heard this and this and this, but I just have discomfort with my pregnancy. Then my goal is let's make sure that your pelvis is balanced because when a, a, a woman starts going through labor and delivery, the pelvis moves and opens. We want to make sure that it's moving and open evenly, not one side versus the other, not and the baby gets stuck. Hmm. Number two as I just alluded to, I want to make sure that the nerve supply to the uterus is clear and that that brain and that uterus are talking because once that uterus starts contracting and pushing that baby out, you want to make sure things are working properly as far as the body. And I just yeah. told this to a patient the other day. She was in, she's eight months, I think. No, no. Yeah, she's eight months pregnant. And I said, it's just, she was telling me how her husband saw the baby move and saw like an elbow and was freaked out by it. I'm like, I said, every time I hear that, I think it's just the most amazing thing. Like your bodies were designed to do that, to like actually grow another human being inside of your, I just, I'm fascinated by it every single time. It's incredible. And yeah. so to be able to help women stay comfortable through their pregnancies and labors and deliveries and things like that, it's, it's, it's so cool. It's so fun. That's a fascinating yeah. aspect in how you can um, in some ways help help yeah. that and help that discomfort. So, it's amazing. Yeah. It's so fun. That's really cool. Yeah. A lot of times when people come in for a chiropractic adjustment, um, it's due to poor form during exercise or they've thrown out their back or, or something due to a physical activity. Yes. Could you just give some advice for proper exercise technique or some ways to maybe avoid um, a common needed adjustment, so just like a thrown out back or something like that. Yeah, I mean, when it when it definitely comes to an exercise standpoint, it's everything's about form, um, mm-hmm. and I tell that to a lot of patients. Whether it's running, swimming, lifting weights, you know, whatever form of exercise that you're doing, if you understand how to do it properly, you're going to avoid a lot of injuries. Uh, I talk to a lot of people that lift weights, and, and I enjoy doing that too. And through my study of proper lifting techniques. I personally have been able to avoid a lot of injury, um, but it's just a matter of when I have conversations with these folks is, okay, well, you know, demonstrate for me how you do this. You know, when you're in the gym and you're doing this and you feel this happening while I do it, and I've had people actually take videos of themselves and bring them in and say, this is what it looks like when I'm doing a pull-up doc. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can see what you're doing here, you know, as far as an abnormal, um, you know, technique that you're using or something that just doesn't mm-hmm. look right. So it's it's having an understanding of, doing proper technique more than anything else to avoid injury. And, and you know, a lot of people, when it comes to weightlifting, it's like, you know, you don't need to lift heavy weight. Well, if somebody wants to lift heavy weight, they can do it as long as they're using proper technique and they're going to avoid injury. Same with running, you know, as a runner. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've got people that run all the time that come in and, you know, ankles, feet, you know, knees, hips, you know, backs are sore. If you have, obviously, good running shoes and you have good technique, you can avoid a lot of those things as well. So a lot of it comes down to just basics as far as technique to avoid injury. And someone who's just getting into a program can go in it with a lot of zeal and then not not do the proper research before and, Correct. and kind of get 
and get some coaching. Yeah. Yeah. If you've never done something before, get somebody who's done a lot of it and get some coaching. Exactly. (laughs) Within the world of chiropractic care, how do you stay up to date on new and effective ways for care? We talked about Webster's technique was a new development or, or the field is constantly changing and developing. Are there any ways that you kind of stay up to date on that? Yeah, I mean, we have to. Um, yeah. By law, we have to. Uh, this, so the state of Ohio makes us take, um, I, I believe it's 38 hours now every two years, um, 36 of those hours. And if I got the numbers wrong, I'm sorry, State Board. It's either 36 or 38. Um, the, you know, 99% of those hours are chiropractic technique, you know, new developments in the profession, um, things like that. They have to be focused on our profession. The other two hours are, are more um, social things that we have to take in, as far as being aware of, you know, trafficking indicators and things like that and drug abuse indicators. So we have to take some things to be aware of as a healthcare provider if we see some stress somewhere. Um, so continuing education, um, lots of different forms of continuing education. You know, we do some online stuff. We, we have seminars where we're in person, uh, where we have someone who might be teaching us something or, you know, this is what I do in my office and, you know, this is what my practice focuses on, stuff like that. Um, so there's, it's, a lot of it is continuing education as far as keeping up to date on things. And what do you see within that world that kind of excites you? Do you see any new developments, progressions, anything that is exciting within chiropractic care? I think for me personally, where I've seen my focus kind of drift towards is more of into the athletics. Like how can I, which was for me early in my career, that was how I got into chiropractic care and that was my focus. Like I want to take care of athletes because I was an athlete and chiropractic helped me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Once I started getting into practice and life kind of took over, that kind of got a distraction. But now I, I, I like to take care of young athletes, like high school athletes, middle school, college athletes. I just, I, I enjoy doing that, and I, I, I notice that when I'm taking continuing ed stuff, I kind of drift towards, where's what's going on in the athletic realm with chiropractors? I'm fascinated, I guess I'm excited to see there's more chiropractors becoming involved with college and sports teams. Uh, I think, mm-hmm. I think and I, I'm not 100% sure, but I believe every NFL team has a chiropractor on staff now. I know a lot of Division One colleges have chiropractors, maybe not on staff, but at least someone close to their campus that they have a relationship with as far as their athletic department does. That's exciting for me because I know how much it personally has helped me. I know, and I know of professional athletes who, I mean, they have a chiropractor on their staff. Like they have their personal <laughs> chef and they have their personal chiropractor and personal yeah. massage therapist. Yeah. So it's like you see these athletes who their whole job is, you know, I spend money on keeping my body, my machine, in, in, in the best functioning capacity. They have chiropractors that they pay, you know, personally to come to their house and take care of and things like that. So mm-hmm. that's exciting for me is to see that the athletic world is, is really embracing what we do from a natural uh, standpoint. Mm-hmm. That is really exciting. Yeah. To, and to see that partnership continue to develop and absolutely. grow. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Are there any types of um, journals or articles or, or books that you have found valuable kind of as you've continued to learn within the path of chiropractic care? Yeah, I mean, there's this traditional textbooks that we use um, journal-wise. There's a couple of journals in the profession. I usually read them online. We don't really get them in the mail anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what I've more recently, probably within the last couple of years, um, I've really gotten into different types of not necessarily chiropractic specific, but more nutrition specific. Because I get a lot of folks that ask me, you know, about, you know, what should I be eating? Things like that. You know, how can how can my diet help support what I'm doing here? You know, I've always ate this way. I want to change that. And how can I, how can you help me do that? You know, whether it's a fast food diet changing into something, you know, more nutritional. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do a lot of reading in different types of diet. I'm, I'm actually... <laughs> My kids tease me about it. I'm reading a book right now called The Carnivore Diet. It's a 100% red meat diet. I'm like, what's this all about? You yeah, know, because yeah. 20 years ago, it's like red meat's like the kiss of death. Like you didn't want to eat steak. <laughs> and now I'm reading this, you know, this book. So I'm just, I'm, I'm interested by that stuff. You know, mm-hmm. how, how I see nutritional trends changing where 20 years ago it was, you know, low fat, low fat, low fat. And now you hear people saying, well, you know, fat is kind of essential in your health. The good fat, you know, not the, not the bad fat, but you want to have good fats in your diet. And I'm like, so... What does that mean? You know, what is what is eating good, clean, you know, protein? What does that mean? You know, what does that look like? And how does it affect people? So mm-hmm. um, that's what I've been kind of diving into over the last couple of years. The role of nutrition is absolutely fascinating. And it plays so much into strength, it focus, concentration, mental state. There's a lot that absolutely. it plays into. Yeah. And sometimes it's downplayed. So yeah. it's really cool too. Just overall health. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I hear people say all the time, food is medicine, you know, and it's it definitely is. Truth to that. Yeah. yeah. When you're not within the office and you're not within the chiropractic care, what brings you joy kind of outside of that space? Mm. Maybe passions or hobbies or things that you enjoy doing? Well, like I said earlier, I, I, I enjoy getting to the gym during my lunch breaks. That's kind mm-hmm. of like my my hour that I can just, you know, put my music on and just zone out and just and, and, and not have to worry about anything. Yeah. Um, obviously, spending time with my family. Uh, that's that's huge for us. Um, you know, just coming off Christmas has been great. You know, we, we just family time is is super important to my wife and I. Uh, having our kids around, having our kids home, doing activities with our kids. Uh, and sometimes it's just, you know, not even have things planned, but just being present with our kids. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think a lot of times in our society, everything gets so fast paced that you can be sitting in the same room and with technology now, you, know, you have five people in a room and everybody's on their phone. You're there physically, but you're not present. So um, as I get older, I, I, I see that that's very important is let's, let's have some intentional family time. Uh, we like to go camping. We like to be outside. Uh, I'm, you know, with my, my history of, of my rifle competition, you know, I'm an avid shooter still. Uh, I've taught my kids all how to shoot, uh, you know, rifle, pistol, things like that. Uh, so I still participate in that. Um, but yeah, we just, we just, we just like to do things as a family. You know, we're not huge travelers. We like to stay local. We like to go to state parks and just be outside. That's great. Yeah. And do you have anything that in your life that you would call a non-negotiable, something that mm. that needs to be in your life is kind of a, a regular routine. I know you've mentioned exercise yeah. is kind of a, a key point, but is there anything else that just is really important to you to just kind of have on a regular basis in your life? Yeah, I mean, to be completely, you know, honest, it's, it's, it's my, my walk with God, you know, my faith. Mm-hmm. That, that's a non-negotiable. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and, and I've learned over the years with my walk through Christ, it's like, it's not that, you know, going to church every Sunday is, is the, is the check mark. It's, it's having that personal relationship with, with Jesus and, and knowing what that means and, and having, you know, throughout the last 40 years, having things where I've looked back and say, oh, 
that was that was God just doing that to me, just touching me in that moment where I wasn't sure what was going on in my life, with, whether it was some chaos or, or whatnot. But being able to look back at that and say, that was definitely God. And understanding that now through my walk and, and, and developing and deepening that relationship, that's a non-negotiable. And for me, that just encompasses my entire life. If, if I know that if I start with that and I stay focused on that, then the chiropractic stuff is great. The family stuff is great because if I know he's at the center of my life, then that takes care of everything. That's great, yeah. What encouragement would you give to an aspiring healthcare professional, someone who wants to enter into chiropractic care or who wants to enter into maybe a nutritionist or generally within that space? Is there any advice or encouragement that you would give them? Be patient. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a long journey. Um, obviously, the schooling is a long journey. And, you know, if, if it is something that you really want to do, if you think it's your calling, if you think it's your purpose, you're solid, you're grounded in that decision, that that's the direction you're going, just be patient with the process. Um, there's going to be hoops that you have to jump through, hurdles you have to jump over to get to where you want to be. Um, you just have to be patient with that process. Trust yourself. Trust what's going on. Uh, obviously, again, as, as what my one of my first mentors told me was, um, you're don't get hung up on the the grades, the tests. You know, get through them, pass them. Obviously, do well, but your end goal is finishing school, getting through your boards, getting your license, and then you get to practice. Right? It's not all the steps leading up to it. So you just have to be very patient because it is a long process. Yeah, you definitely have to keep that end goal in mind and keep yeah. perspective. Yeah. And I think once you do get to practice, you know. I don't know, just my personal feeling. I think, you know, a lot of people can go into healthcare with a misconstrued goal of, you know, I, I want to be a doctor because I want to make X amount of dollars, you know, per year. And I want to live in this neighborhood and I want to have this big of a house. You focus on that, you will not be successful, you know. Mm -hmm. But if, if you focus on you're there to help another human being, whatever your specialty is, whatever your scope of practice is, if you really stick to that, say, I'm here to help another human being, and you continue to do that day in and day out, <clears throat> then whatever your definition of success is, that will materialize. Because if you focus on that, then then you're going to be happy and you're going to be successful, mm. whatever that means to you. That's great advice. Yeah. Just in closing, is there any additional advice that you would give to those beginning their journey? Hmm. Well, I, I do think, you know, seeking out mentors is, is valuable. Mm. Um, don't be afraid to ask questions. You know, I, I have learned over the years in practice that I'm to the point now that I'm, I'm wanting to share insights with the next generation of chiropractors. Whereas maybe 20 years ago when I was early in practice, I might have saw it as competition. I don't see it as competition anymore. You know, I see it as mm -hmm. this is a colleague of mine who is, is new. They don't know. They're green right? <laughs> yeah. How can I serve them as a new professional in my profession to, to guide them along the way? Um, so for young folks, don't be afraid. Most practitioners in whatever specialty they're in, if they've been doing that for a couple of decades, they want to help the next generation. So don't be afraid to pick up the phone or send an email or, or reach out to somebody. If, if you get a hold of a nurse or a front desk person and say, hey, I'd like to talk to Dr. So-and-so and, -so and 
most doctors will make time in their schedule to sit down and have a cup of coffee with you and talk or let you come in and shadow them and things like that. We want to help. So don't be afraid to ask for help. That's great. Yeah. Well, it's just been awesome to delve into the world of chiropractic care, to look at kind of the history of it, look at the world of chiropractic care, what's exciting. Um, and it's just been an absolute pleasure to have you on. It's so been fun, Jonathan. Thank you for coming. It's been fun. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Voices from Healthcare. This podcast seeks to give practical advice to aspiring healthcare professionals and encourage those within the healthcare field. If you appreciate the message and mission of this podcast, leave a rating and review on the platform you are listening to and make sure to follow the podcast so that you do not miss out on future episodes. It really does help spread the word within the podcasting world. I'm pleased to announce that this episode, episode 10, concludes season one. I'm so thankful for your support throughout the season. Stay tuned as season two will premiere on February 14th. Feel free to send me professions you want me to interview, questions you have, or neat stories you want to share with me. You can email me at voicesfromhc at gmail.com. You can also check out the podcast Instagram page at voicesfromhc. Here I'll post important updates about season launches, episode information, and more. Although this podcast seeks to be informative, information discussed cannot be taken in place of medical advice.